I'm Ayodele Harrison, uh, husband, father of two, 20-year educator. Welcome to Ayodele Speaks. The time of this or date of this recording is June 6, 2020. Um, and today's episode uh, is called, What If Atlanta Doesn't Love Me? Um, so, you know, I've told you all, so on my way to the hardware store today to pick up some supplies, um, to make sure that I, you know, get my yard together. Um, I live in the Camp Creek, uh, marketplace area, um, off Camp Creek, uh, road or route six, whatever you want to say. And there's a sign that I saw and I'm just going to read it to you. And it says in big, uh, white letters, block letters, uh, 8 PM curfew, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then in red letters, it says, if you love Atlanta, please go home. And also on the sign is a the the Atlant city of Atlanta insignia with the rising phoenix and all other type of stuff and the and the I think Latin on it. It's in a a, a red color, like a reddish color, and so it's almost like a uh, an ominous when you look at it, like um, like planet or like when you're looking at the sun from afar um, at night and you can see kind of like, or, you know, like a burning star that you can just kind of see like, uh, amber glow around it. And so it's like, it's very dimly lit and kind of looks, you know, uh, very negative. Um, but that's the sign that I saw and it just, it, it just didn't, it didn't sit right with me. It was like, if you love Atlanta, Please go home. So I, I understood the curfew part. And, and, and where we find ourselves is there's an uprising happening all across the country um, uh, because of uh, uh, structural institutional racism, uh, white supremacist ideology that has led to structural institutional racism that leads to worse outcomes for if you happen to have black or brown, not happen if, well, if you have black or brown skin. And so there's been a lot of policies and all this stuff written. And I was just like, okay, you can say the curfew, but if you, if you, if you love Atlanta, please go home. And so I was thinking like, but what if Atlanta doesn't love me? And when I say me, I say me as a black person, me as a representative of the black community or just the black community in general, what, what if it doesn't love me, you know? And so I was thinking in my work as an educational consultant, when we, when we bring people together to talk about racial equity, um, we try and we do our best to center ourselves on the history of the land and how we've, you know, what is the cut, like what has helped, what events in history have, have, transpire to position us to the experiences that all people experience in whatever community we're serving. So if it's in Atlanta and the Atlanta community, and one of the tools that we use um, quite frequently to say like, hey, this isn't me as a consultant saying this at Atlanta. This is what we know statistically when we use the numbers. And so there is um, the Annie E. Casey Foundation um, that has the Atlantic Civic site here um, released this report uh, back in 2019. And it was an update of a, of a report that they released back in, in 2015. And so it's called Changing the Odds, uh, Progress and Promise in Atlanta. And so um, there's a lot of different things are, that are covered in this, um, where there, there's really a, a number of areas that, that they go through in terms of um, understanding, you know, what our communities look like, education looks like, what job workforce looks like, all these other types of things. And so one of the first things you notice is that, or, or that they say is that, you know, Atlanta, um, is, 
is a uh, what do they say specifically? It, it's Atlanta has been recognized as one of two cities in the nation, along with um, Washington D.C., where African Americans are faring the best economically. Period. Yet it also leads to the nation's uh, to leads Atlanta leads the nation in income inequality. And so one of the things you'll see, one of the first uh, images you'll see graphics is just where a majority of African-Americans live as opposed to a majority of uh, white Americans. And the way Atlanta is, is situated, there's kind of a north of I-20, which is interstate I-20 and a south of I-20. And so a majority of African-Americans live, congregate close to I-20. I-20 runs um, east-west or yeah, east-west-east, however you want to say it. Um, and kind of splits the city in half. And so in the northern part of Atlanta is where a majority of white people live, um, where higher incomes are, higher median incomes, higher home values. And when you start becoming south and getting towards 20 and south of 20, that's where you see that a majority of African-Americans reside, where there are um, uh, economic inequalities that exist there. And so um, one of the, the, the thing is people talk about Atlanta being a black city and quote unquote black city. Um, the demographics have been shifting um, quite a bit to where African-Americans, according to this report um, that was in 2017, the population was 52% African-American and 37% white. And then um, 10%, nine or 10% around um, other other race and ethnicities that, that, that make up that. So Atlanta is majority black, but there is still a large population of others. And it is a diverse, um, diverse community that's there. But when you dive a bit deeper and you start looking at, um, not only where a majority of whites live in Atlanta, where a majority of blacks, African-Americans live, you know, you go to scroll down. And one of the things is, you know, there's, um, the percentage of children living in high poverty areas for African-Americans, 76, 76% of kids living in high poverty, excuse me, 76% of African-American children live in high poverty areas, right? So again, we go back to that map of where the majority of African-Americans are, right? Um, the, uh, you know, incomes, right? The average, the, the median incomes um, that are represented here um, for uh, African-Americans is, uh, I think in 2016, 20, 28,500. The median income for whites in Atlanta is 86,000. So let that just sink in. 28, roughly, for African-Americans. 86 for white in Atlanta. There has been an increase between the first measurement, 2013, and the last measure I said in 2016 for each of the groupings, but there's still a huge difference of, what is that, $50,000 in average incomes. And so, you know, this thing is like, if you love Atlanta, go home. Well, maybe I don't love Atlanta because Atlanta doesn't love me. So what, what makes me want to go home? Like this is now the time to, so these moments, these instances with, with Mr. Floyd, um, and Mr. Arbery that's, that's, you know, has, has been, you know, happened in Georgia and all over, like the uprisings come from this inequality that has been experienced in this city, specifically Atlanta, for generations.
for generations. This is not a... So when you have young people, old people, whoever that might be out um, sharing, sharing their frustration, doing, doing those types of things, it is not just because of a single racist murder or, uh, you know, ideology and racist fueled murder of an African-American gentleman by a white, a former white police officer in Minneapolis. There's so much more to this that people have to begin to understand that like Atlanta is failing black people. Now people are trying their best to, to do all these things, but the numbers, and that's not, I, I, take my opinion across away. And just look at it and I'll, and I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that the, this uh, changing the odds document is there, right? So that you can read and see what is actually happening. So contrary to popular belief, how we're such a great, like demographically, we're, we're loving, we're diverse outcomes for African-American communities, children is dire here. That's what the uprising is about here in Atlanta. It's not just a momentary thing that happened three weeks ago. This stuff has been happening for generations. We don't have this income inequality that just happens at a moment. And so when, when we get signs like that in my community, South Atlanta, South Fulton, excuse me, I live in the city of South Fulton. The sign was in East Point, right? Which is a, a suburb um, just South of Atlanta, like literally it, it borders um, on it. And I get this sign in my community that says, if you love Atlanta, please, please go home. Well, I guess I should not be in my home. I should be out in the streets protesting and doing those, the things that are happening because the city hasn't shown that it's loved my people. Yes, there have been moments. Yes, there has been progress. But when we look at the overall structure and the income inequality between whites and African-Americans or blacks in Atlanta, it's huge. There's a failing of a system that's going on there. There is systemic and institutional racism that is causing this income difference. So if we scroll down like in, in here, you know, so I'm a 20 year educator, right? And I work in Atlanta public schools and I work in partnership with them and doing so much work in terms of, um, delivering a systems approach to <clears throat> equity centered school improvement. That's where we, 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 we do work to really not just say, here's one instance of what we think it is. We, we, we go in and do a needs assessment, um, to find out, to get to, to look at some indicators to, so we can get to some root causes of what's causing persistent, um, academic performance and opportunity gaps in the city of Atlanta right? Or in any city, but we work here as well. And that's what we do through our equity center school improvement. So like I'm on the ground working in schools are working to get better school leaders, educators, families are working to get better, but there's something else at play here that makes it hard for me to, 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 to see that sign and feel, I feel disrespected by that sign, right? If you love Atlanta, please go home. Well, what do I do if Atlanta doesn't love me and my people? That might be the reason why folks are out in the streets. Educationally speaking, I mean, this report shares, shares so much, but what they do is say preparing, um, 
One of the parts is preparing children for educational success. Today's young, this is what I'm reading from the report. Today's young people hold our collective prosperity in their hands. They are our future business leaders, policymakers, teachers, inventors, and, and visionaries. Yet in Atlanta, zip code, skin color, and family income too often determine whether children receive the resources they need to be healthy and develop a track and develop on track socially, emotionally, and academically. So in Atlanta, zip code, skin color, family income, too often determine how we survive and how we live and our experiences socially, emotionally, academically, health-wise. Again, we go back to that first map that I talked about, that first image. It's a tale of two cities. Wealthy, majority, white, Atlantans, or people who reside in Atlanta is north of 20, south or at 20 and south of 20, majority African Americans. So your zip code matters. Your skin color matters here in Atlanta. And so this report is, 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 is really great um, to, to, to look at and, and understand so many diverse needs across so many different spaces. And so, you know, we look at, you know, we've heard this data, but Atlanta students um, are missing key reading and math milestones. And so what I've what I've seen here in, in this in this report. So um, those so more support is needed beginning at birth for students in Atlanta, especially African-Americans and Latino students to reach their these critical academic benchmarks. Right. And so. So when we look at they have one piece of data is a precision uh, percentages. What I'm going to read is percentages represent students who score proficient or above. So at third grade reading level for whites in Atlanta, third grade reading proficiency, 80% of whites are reading at proficient or above according to um, student achievement data that comes from the Georgia milestones. For African-Americans, that's 20% of African-American children, third graders, um, when this report was taken 2017-2018, are reading at proficient or above 80% versus 20% in third grade. That is humongous. But yet, if we look at this again, we go back to these numbers, 52% of Atlanta is African-American. 37% is white or white. So if we look at math, math, eighth grade math proficiency or above scoring on the Georgia milestone. 19% of African-Americans scored at proficient or above. For white American, for white Atlantans, 64% scored at or above proficient on the eighth grade math. 64% white versus 19% African-American. It's not just income inequality. It's educational inequality that's happening as well. And going through this report, it's healthcare inequality. It's justice inequality that we're experiencing. So please go home. If you love me, please go home. Well, I, I think African-Americans who are in the streets, those who are Latinos, those are Latinx community representing other communities, those whites who are fed up, 
with the inequalities that are being experienced across Atlanta, they are out in the streets protesting. And then the last one, am I doing enough? Right. And, and so, you know, protests look different in so many different ways that there's a physical on the line doing that. But then there's also some political policy lines that, that, that are being fought across and fought with. Right. So as the, the city might be having some destruction that's happening on the street that, you know, might uh, amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. But there's also policies in our state house still being written by elected officials that are furthering this income inequality that are furthering this education inequality. So no, I don't have to go home. So that statement, if you love Atlanta, please go home. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to anybody else who's recognized these inequalities that's been existing for decades here in Atlanta. This is why people are in the streets. This is why organizations like my myself um, or excuse me, community bill ventures exist where we are committed to eliminate, eliminating racial disparities. That's that racial inequality based upon race that I just told you that come from this changing the odds. We work to eliminate that by developing powerful, impactful racial equity driven leaders and organizations. So when we say like, so when we talk about, oh, it's too much talk about race, too much talk about race, the numbers in our city say it is racial. So no, I don't have to go home. I should be out in the streets. I should be at the state house protesting, writing letters, making sure that I'm encouraging people to vote, completing my census, doing all those things, talking to my child about how to be safe when he's driving out in the street, 16 year old boy, African-American out in the streets, trying to make sure that these he's safe. Because he's probably more likely, if I look through this data, to be stopped than uh, a non-black person in Atlanta or non-black youth. So th there's just a, a great level. I mean, frustration isn't even the word. I, I, I have these, you know, these um, uh, feelings and emotions cards that, that, that I think there's like 270 or 170 emotions that you know, um, come just to help me. Cause you know, one thing I'm learning in, in the work that I do in compassion based mindfulness, but more specifically emotional self care is really helping when I work with black, black male educators and black men. Um, th there's this thing in, in my training that I experienced that if you can name a feeling or emotion, you have a chance of better understanding it and knowing coming to a place where you, you, you understand what has triggered that emotion. Triggered means just has put that motion, emotion or feeling in action. Um, could be a positive feeling, could be a negative feeling, but the more, or excuse me, it could be feelings or emotions that have often been categorized as positive or negative. Now, the key thing is that emotions are neither positive or negative, right? What happens is we interpret those feelings, right? And we try and name them as anger, as sadness, as um, happiness and so on and so forth. And then we categorize them that way, but they are just emotions that alert our body that some sort of chemical change is happening to us. And it's happening because of this event. We've then interpreted and classified it as that. So emotions really are neutral. We've just assigned through experience to know what they are. So an emotion of anger, when I see uh, when I get pulled over by the cops and don't feel like I was breaking the law or anything and, and ask for all this stuff and ask to step out of my car, 
it, 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 it comes from the experiences that I've had, the experience, uh, literally, but then also, uh, uh, vicariously through watching others, right. Of this anxiety, this heart racing, that type of thing. Right. When the simple incident of pulling over, being pulled over by the cop should not elicit that, but it's what I've interpreted, what I've been able, what I've learned that really means it can bring up anxiety, it can bring up great levels of stress, it can bring up anger and so on and so forth. And so, you know, so with these, these, you know, that, that's, that's it. So some of the, some of the cards are, you know, when we talk about, um, uh, if you love Atlanta, please go home. When I see this sign, I, I, I feel like, you know, one of the things, one of the words here is bypassed, right? That Atlanta has bypassed, gone around, gone over, gone through, driven over, whatever, um, African-Americans from this data that's presented here in the changing the odds. Quarrelsome, right? That That is wanting to lash out and do something, wanting to um, uh, engage in a way around a better understanding or, or trying to correct these inequalities, right? Um, some of the other words are like obtuse, right? It, it's just this feeling of, 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 of feeling weirdly pulled apart, you know? Um, for some people, there, there might be an expression of ambivalence, right? Now I'm, I'm just amb ambivalent, you know, to, to, the, to this whole thing, right? Um, another word is peevish, right? And then there is stuck. What do I do, right? stuck. I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling stuck because of the experiences, what I see, what I've experienced in the city. So, so no, I won't go home. Right. Or if you ask me to go home, I feel stuck at home. Like, what do you mean go home? Something needs to be done. So anyway, oh, the data is out there. And, 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 and I got to tell you, this is not unique to Atlanta. Um, Changing the odds, I, I believe Annie Casey and some others, there's reports about every city, right? That there is some sort of inequality, racial inequality that is happening within a city. You dig deep enough and you'll see it. We see it in Minneapolis, right? We, 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 we see it represented on our jobs, right? Where who for organizations, who's the lead in the organization? Who are the lead on the board of directors of an organization, right? Who's the lead of a police officer organization? Well, okay, so you know you might have a you know a person of color or a female who is leading the organization, but if you look right underneath, well, then who are all the captains, right? We we got to begin to investigate these things and look for where these racial disparities occur, and face them, right? In our school, who's who's on the school board, right? Who's the superintendent? Who's the staff of the superintendent? Now, this is not to say that like all school boards, all superintendents, all police forces are bad, but it's about investigating and seeing, well, if, you know, if there is a racial difference, 52% in Atlanta is African-American, 37% is white, represented by white, the population, then shouldn't we see that representation also in our leadership, in our, on our jobs, in our schools? We should see that. And so we have to begin to, or continue to interrogate, to investigate and interrogate what's behind these uprisings. Cause it's not just a moment. And even if, even if a young person was, doesn't know this information and they're out there processing, they're going along with their friends. Well, statistically showing 
here in Atlanta, if they're African-American, there's a, there's a higher percentage chance that they come from a high poverty area or experience in higher poverty than those of whites. So even if they don't know that there's a feeling and an experience that they have, their place to uprise, to protest does exist. They don't have to know the history, but it's important for us to share it with them. But we need to know the history as adults who create learning environments, who create community environments for them, helping them to understand this, right? But know that if they don't know the history, there is still history that is behind them that, that, that gives them reason to be upset and to uprise. Now, I am not for, let me be clear, I'm not for looting and destruction of property. But the Martin Luther King quote is that a, a, a riot is, is the voice of the unheard. I probably butchered that. I've heard it a number of times. I should have had it ready. But it's just nothing but the voice of the unheard. That's what's happening here. This unheard. This tale of two cities. So we as adults, as adults, specifically speaking to black community, yes, we can desire that violence does not take place. But there's, there's some justification in this data to hear that Atlanta does not love black people. It has not convinced us that it loves black people because of these educational outcomes, uh, employment outcomes, income outcomes, justice outcomes, healthcare outcomes, workforce development outcomes. So what do we do about this? What do you do about this? What do I do about this? Well, one of the things is, is, is my work is part of it as director of BME's talk, where we create and curate safe, rich, safe, rich spaces for black men educators to connect, grow and lead. So there is research out there that says that if a teacher, if a child and between third or fourth grade has one between third and fifth grade has one African-American teacher, we know that, uh, graduation rates increase for African-Americans and also enrollment in college increases as well. I think it's like 39% increase in graduation rates, 25%, something around there, 20% uh, enrollment in college. Black male, black teachers matter. Black male teachers, black male educators matter as well. So in trying to counteract what's happening in our educational system, what I do is create these spaces for black male educators to come together to feel connected, to feel like they're learning something, to feel like they're not alone, to then learn skill to go out and lead and improve educational outcomes. So there is that commitment. So I ask you, hey, go to our website, bmestalk.com, hit the donate button, right? Um, it's bmestalk.com slash donate. Hit the donate button, become an individual uh, uh, donor, become a corporate sponsor, sponsor a convening where we gather black male educators together to, to, to iron, sharpen iron and be better so that we will want to return back to our, the learning environments in which we work, whether that is K-12, whether that's higher ed, whether that's in our community, wherever that might be, the YMCA, it doesn't matter. All these spaces where we return and want to continue to do the work. So that's what we can do. You can find other organizations to give, to get involved. Voting is happening now in June. I think the polls, like early voting has already closed for, 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 for Atlanta, but June, June 8th 
or excuse me, not June 8th, June 9th, which is this Tuesday is a voting day. Voting across the country is happening. Do it. Get involved. Donate to a campaign. Be good within your homes. Talk with your children about this. Don't overload them with the uprising that's happening, but give them education. White people, talk to your friends. Share this information. Changing the odds. Hey, let's read this together. Hey, that might be great. What if there is a white affinity group, more specifically a white male affinity group that got together and said, you know what? Our first reading is going to be the Changing the Odds report. It's available online. I'll, I'll link everything you need. Written again by Annie Casey Foundation, funded by them, and compiled all this information so that we understand here in Atlanta what what is causing African Americans and other allies and co-conspirators to be upset and want to uprise. Have a affinity group conversation. You'll need to be an expert to read this. I mean, this whole thing, it, it's a number of pages, but it, each page has a uh, very cool and clear, um, colored, color coded, um, demographics. I mean, uh, infographics that you can read, like you don't even have to read the thing. You can just see, meaning like read all the, 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 the narrative that's given that explains the data. It's helpful. Do that. But there's also infographics where you get to see this right here and it's in your face and then you have a discussion. What does this mean for us? What benefits, if I'm a white person, what benefits have I experienced as a result of this, right? Now again, each individual experience can be different. As a white person, you might read this and say, um, well, you know, I grew up in poverty and so on. Yes, you're right. That is your experience. I honor that. But when we think about it as a citywide statistical level, and the differences, the inequality between African-Americans, we have to bring this out to not a individual place, but as a community, right? As a city, as a, as a I forgot the word. I think the word is community, but it's, it's, it's the structural institutional racism is a, an institutional impact, policies, laws, uh, funding, healthcare, all those other types of things are, are dictated by these, by, 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 um, institutional policies and things like that being written that are based upon this ideology of white supremacy and, and, and laws, many of them, a majority of them are about av advancing the benefits for white people as opposed to black people. So we got to push past this, any, this equality argument because there's any, there's, there's inequality happening. So it's not like, let's just make everything equal or we can't just look at, you know, people breaking down a building is just in that moment. The equity place is starting to look through a racial equity lens. What is it about their experience as a person of color, specifically as a black person that is different than mine? How might have my experience been helped or advantaged? Or maybe not yours personally as a white person, but as a community, as a race of white people, how has it been benefited? So have that group, have that conversation, use this data so people aren't guessing. When I turn on the radio, sports radio, people are, are, are trying to have these conversations and they're just having these conversations, but it's like, man, we, the data is there. So if, if, if you, if you don't seem to understand now, if you're, if you don't understand why people are uprising, whether you're white or black now, go and read this report. Doesn't take long. All you gotta do is flip the two, three pages and you'll get it. 76% 
of African-American children in Atlanta live in high poverty zones. 76. Three-fourths of all African-American children, babies, two-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 18-year-olds, live in high poverty communities, as opposed to with the white community, 6% of all white people, white children in Atlanta live in high poverty areas. That has ramifications. Man, if you were to sit down in a community group and just read the document, you have a chance of having a better understanding of why people are upset. Not just black people, not just Latin. Why uh, 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 a large amount of people are upset and want to have this conversation. Why it is this inequality. Why it is Colin Kaepernick some three years ago took a knee to just raise awareness of this inequality that is happening. So all of this stuff across these, these major areas, education, healthcare, uh, workforce development, all other type of stuff leads to moving to from institutional racism to now um uh excuse me um oh gosh the word interpersonal right where now the way we've been taught to relate to each other is through this lens of how we see the other so if my white experience has been in this particular neighborhood and, and safe with cops and so on and so forth. We can't seem to understand why someone else's experience, African-American who lives just 15 minutes down the road, south of 20, is a, has a completely different experience with the educational system, with the justice system, with the healthcare system. That information is there. Read it in this document. And across all the cities, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's other places to find this data about your city. And, and, you know, for me right now, I, th I think when, 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 when someone says, I don't understand why this happened, I think I'm going to just send them in this email. I wish I just had a thousand copies to keep my car. Why is this happening? Read. Read the Changing the Odds report. Why? What's going on? Read. There's some historical context you got to understand. Or there's some current context you got to understand. This Changing the Odds tells us currently what's happening. But then there's some also historical context that has led to what our current experience is in Atlanta. But it's there for you. So anyway, who, what, how, you know, as, uh, as, as, uh, Dr. Hodgkins, uh, with the facade podcast, he says, well, you know, he likes to do a time check 35 minutes, 35 minutes in. If you've gotten this far, I thank you for, for listening to me. Please, please share this podcast where, wherever you have found it. Please comment wherever you can, um, via Twitter, um, share the link, um, comment. What do you think? Um, I'm going to have the resources up for the changing the odds. Take some time to read it, um, scan it, just, just get a sense. And this is for everybody to read so that we understand what, uh, what racial disparity really looks like across these major sectors or industries in Atlanta. That helps us to inform this conversation. And then maybe, just maybe, people start to listen and then go beyond listening to act and say, something has got to be done here. Who has, let's begin to interrogate, who has contributed to these inequalities happening in my city? So if there's some endearment, endearment of, if you love Atlanta, please go home. If you love black people, if you say you have compassion for them, Get to know what their experience is through articles like this or research uh, reports written like this and do something. 
Stand up. Get out in the streets. Vote. Donate. Get involved. And this is not just convene a meeting in your neighborhood to talk about these challenges. You can do something, not just retweeting is great. Saying you're upset is great. You know, uh, checking on your black friends is great, but I'm even starting to see some black, some of my black friends on, on Facebook or, and, and Twitter. Are like, can, can these white people stop checking in on me? Like, like I'm not okay. Let's, let's just say that I'm not okay. But what, what are you going to do? Don't just, Hey, I hope you're well. That's great. That's a sign of compassion, but let's go past that and actually move to action, action. Compassion is a desire defined by um, uh, uh, Emory University's uh, Center for Compassion-Based Science. And, and oh gosh, oh, they're going to be upset that I, I don't remember. Um, Compassion-Based uh, Science, oh gosh, anyway. <laughs> they, there's work with cognitively-based compassion training. And um, the way that they define compassion is a desire to alleviate the dissatisfaction, distress, suffering, the pain of, um, of another and promote their, by promoting their well-being. So if you're truly compassionate, so checking in on somebody is a sign of empathy, right? Meaning I, I now, I, I've, I feel, or I either have a heartfelt sense, affection, or, or a cognitive understanding that something is not right, let me check in. Right. And so that moves you to this compassionate action. But we have to continue to be fiercely compassionate to move forward and to say, what can I do within my community? Yes. Checking on your black friends are great or your friends of color are great. But then also that's one thing. And what else? How are we going to push back against the system? And a lot of it starts as simply as convening a group, having a conversation about this data and then doing something about it, saying, hey, as a group, here's what we're going to do. We're going to donate to the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to donate to BME's talk and, and making sure that there are safe spaces for black male educators to, to get to know each other and connect, grow and lead. We are going to then go and investigate the policies in our school that are disproportionately affecting African-American children or children of color or immigrants in our school. We're going to go and start doing this research, but then moving to action, action, action is what's important. Join the uprising in your community by having this conversation. People don't understand. Hand them a copy of this. Send them an email of this. Take a page out of here and just say, just read this. Understand just some simple knowledge. Anyway, I'm Ayodele. This is Ayodele Speaks. Um, love to hear from you. Please continue to share. Thank you for all those who've who've been listening and sharing. Um, your your comments have have been have been inspiring um, and encouraging. And I thank you for taking the time out. Folks saying that they love it. They love hearing the voice. Um, you know, just my perspective on things um, and the resources that they get. You know, these episodes will keep coming. And you know, now we're you know forty minutes is my longest one as of yet. Um, I thank you for taking the time um, to listen. I. Um, Wish you all the best and Godspeed. Um, be safe, be active, be progressive, be fiercely compassion, compassionate by going out and join us in the work and the fight to end racial disparities. But we can't end it by pointing 
from our, our seats across the way and say, you need to do something or hey, black person or person of color, you should be doing this to fight the system. You gotta be thinking about what are you doing? So, the final question is what if, what if I believe, what if Atlanta doesn't love me? If I don't feel love, then I can't go home. My place is in the streets, protesting fighting to shed light on the inequality, the suffering experiences of African-Americans in the city of Atlanta. God bless.